0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Risk and Regulation Rundown, the podcast where we share our views and insights on hot topics in financial services, risk and regulation. I'm Tessa Norman, your regular host. And in this episode, we're talking about the SCA's consumer duty. I'm delighted to be joined by two expert guests, James Williams, a senior manager in our financial services banking conduct team, and Lin Yang, a senior manager in our technology, data, and analytics team. Who are going to share insights with us on how they're seeing firms transition from project mode to BAU mode and all that that entails. Where we're starting to see the FCA focus its supervisory efforts and how that's likely to evolve. And finally, to share their thoughts on how firms can use technology and data solutions to support ongoing compliance and deliver better customer outcomes. So, James, do you want to kick off by talking us through what we've seen among our clients in the run up to the end of July implementation deadline?
1: Yeah, thanks, Tessa. So we've supported a number of firms to attain compliance throughout the implementation period. And we've typically seen similar approaches being taken across different industry sectors. The effectiveness of imple- implementation and the speed of execution has often varied. So this has depended on the robustness of the inip- initial gap analysis completed, effectiveness of programme governance, and the level of resource made available, including within supporting functions, so for example HR, finance or data. The implementation effectiveness has also depended on the culture of the firm and the tone from the top, so for example from the board or the board champion. Generally this has required an internal communication strategy to effectively cascade the message downwards throughout the firm. The boards that we've worked with have demonstrated consistent interest in the duty and are acutely aware of the re- new responsibilities that are placed on them. So for example, the regular oversight of customer outcomes. Despite this, we've all found that attaining and evidencing compliance has been really challenging. So for example, many firms have identified a number of internal and external dependencies, particularly where there's been significant reliance on outsources or others in the distribution chain. Ultimately, this has made sourcing the right data to monitor and oversee customer outcomes challenging. And in some cases has even required updates contractually. We've seen that challenges have collectively made meeting the 31st of July deadline difficult for some firms, particularly where they are already resource constrained.
0: Thanks James, I think those themes uh, definitely resonate with the conversations that that I've been having with our clients. Um, So you mentioned some some of the challenges there and we're now um, sort of almost two months on from that implementation deadline. How are some of those challenges and and, and resource constraints playing out and, and how are we seeing firms managing that transition now that they should be in BAU mode?
1: yeah so now that the um, implementation deadline for open products has now passed um, a lot of these firms have already wound down their main implementation programs however these firms are now typically standing up new programs to manage any deprioritized or day two activity so for example many still need to agree the structure and the content of their annual board report of customer outcomes and some are still making further enhancements to their customer outcome mi other firms that we're currently working with are remediating any lower risk instances of poor customer outcomes that were not addressed during the implementation period. Firms with a backbook are also simultaneously completing their product reviews and their fair value assessments ahead of the 31st of July 24 deadline for closed products. To streamline this, some firms are using technology platforms to perform these reviews, which leverage advanced data analytics to assess product performance. We've seen this to be particularly helpful where there's an extensive backbook to work through. Throughout these reviews, firms are identifying poor customer outcomes that will obviously need to be remediated, both on a tactical and strategic basis, before the next deadline. There will be other activities that come out in the wash now that we're past the 31st of July 23 deadline as well. So for example, we saw several firms undertake in-flight assurance during the implementation period to assess the effectiveness of their programmes and the extent of alignment of any changes to the new duty standards. These firms are currently working through any remedial action that spilled over into the go-live period. Some firms are also planning additional independent assurance either through their own internal audit functions or through third parties now that the 31st of July 23 deadline has passed. These activities are typically centred on whether new processes and controls have embedded as expected, are being executed appropriately and are delivering the desired customer outcomes. Firms are certainly recognising that this is an ongoing journey that will evolve over time.
0: So, still a very busy to do list then for firms. Lynn, what, w- what would
2: you add to that in terms of what you're seeing firms focus on now? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Tessa. I absolutely agree with James that this is such a transition journey from getting the duty over the line to really embed a customer centered culture. And it is certainly not an overnight job. For example, enriching all the data points needed would require a significant time and effort. And certainly, our regulators are aware of this transition and expecting companies to come with questions. Uh, While the companies are scrutinising the compliance with the duty, the regulators will also be looking for them to meet the higher standards of the duty on other issues and requests, because the duty will be a key part of the supervisory approach. For example, in August, uh, FCA has requested quite a number of banks and building societies to submit their account closure data for the last 18 months, Um, For example, things like account being closed, terminated, and what's the reason behind those. So this data exercise really shows how important it is for these firms to have a robust and established process when it comes to the customer outcome monitoring. For example, can they extract the data needed to demonstrate this substantive compliance, as James just mentioned? Is the data granular enough to cover all the product, not just the types of the product? Do they have maybe like a quality control in place to ensure that the data produced are robust and accurate and also in a timely manner? So for us, it won't be a surprise if we see such data exercise come back again in the coming months for other consumer duty-related requests. And it actually sends a very strong signal for the firms to gear up for their monitoring process. So things to be considered for the companies, such as are they investing sufficiently on research and analysis that needed to improve customer outcome? Is their annual review still very heavily focused on those revenue generating KPIs rather than customer experience insights? And also it is quite important for all of the company to remember that they are not alone in this journey. Coming back to the uh, data submission example we discussed, they are encouraged to have this open dialogue with the regulators on any potential data quality issues and more importantly to discuss how to really enhance any gaps that we've seen going forward and the nature of the consummability requires old companies to go out and collaborate with each other on the same distribution chain especially so that they can jointly focus on the same group of customers and that's my take on this
0: thanks lynn yeah and i absolutely agree that that um bank account closures request has, has sort of put firms through, through their paces and would have tested some of their data capabilities um, very early on from from the duty being introduced so that's been an interesting exercise um, and, and and you spoke to their sort of um, interactions that, that firms might be having with the regulator and um, the, we know that the regulator is taking a, a very proactive approach to supervision so far as, as it promised it would. Um, I mean James what would you add to that in terms of how you're seeing the regulator focus its supervisory efforts initially and how do you expect to see that evolve?
1: Yeah, so I think particularly over the kind of next 12 or 24 months, I think the FCA will likely scrutinise whether there's sustained focus and attention from SMFs, particularly on whether, um, you know, the firm's actually delivering good outcomes across the firm, across its different product sets, um, and whether there's evidence of challenge from the board um, and the board champion, you know, out those discussions. And I think we'll also see um, increasing interest in the embeddedness of new and updated policies, procedures and processes within the first line. And whether any new controls have been designed and are being executed effectively and we'll also see the fca focus on whether any instances of poor customer outcomes have actually been you know appropriately identified remediated and responded to um, including where these are delivered by kind of outsourced service providers or third parties Um, we've already seen the fca publish a 14-point action plan within the cash savings market which highlighted ongoing issues under the price and value outcome i think there'll be further you know similar publications in due course and we expect that to, that and we expect that any issues identified will be actively managed through regular dialogue with supervisors. In some cases, we may even begin to see enforcement activity now that we're past the 31st of July deadline. Any firms which fall below regulatory expectations may find themselves subjected to Section 166 skilled person reviews, for example, including potential fines off the back of these. And we'll likely see the FCA request the annual board reports of customer outcomes from most firms in due course when these become available in order to monitor how effectively the duty is embedding across the industry.
0: Thanks, James. I'm sure you know they, those sort of initial interactions with the SEA are going to be driving firms activity in terms of where they're prioritised and, and, and focused next. Um, and, and I think you've both referenced the fact that this is going to be an ongoing journey for the industry. And, and, and I think as we go forward, we, we're going to start seeing firms make better use of data and te- technology solutions um, so that they can make sure that the solutions they've put in place are sustainable in the long term. Um, Lynn, what are you seeing in terms of um, those data solutions? And, and how they're starting to evolve.
2: Yeah, that's uh, absolutely right, Tessa. Um, technology and data analytics in general, we see it's playing a more and more important role in helping companies to accelerate this transition journey to be BAU as discussed. So one example we can talk about is the advanced forecasting model. So as we know, the traditional forecasting model, when it comes to credit risk decisioning, will largely rely on basic demographic data, for example two customers with the same age group, income level, might be offered the same kind of product. The model itself would not consider how customers plan to spend the money, or whether those credit limits offered suits their real credit needs. Now, the improved forecasting model will integrate customers' behaviour data and other financial data that could be shared by third parties so that model can gain deeper insight into customers' spending pattern, their risk appetite, et cetera. And the product service it recommended will be much more bespoke and appropriate to suit their financial needs. And I guess the best part is that um, this kind of tailored service will be made widely available for all customers, rather than nowadays, if we think about it, it will be only a certain small group of wealthy customers who can afford it at a premium cost. And um, secondly, as we just talked about earlier, this July deadline certainly doesn't mark the end of this transition. So on an ongoing basis, the MI metrics, they really need to demonstrate that the firms are consistently generating good outcomes for their customers. For example, when we evaluate a credit card, the metrics should not just focus on how profitable it is, it should also address how well this product serves their customers. For example, we can look at how much revenues is generated from fees and charges comparing to the things from um, generated from interests. If this credit card's revenue is largely from fees and charges, then I guess it's for banks to rethink that the design of this product, whether it has the good customer outcome to start with. Um, another example I have seen in the market is the voice analytics tools that is commonly used in the call centers to help them to give much more insight during their interactions with customers. Um, traditionally, those note taking at the call centers can be quite labor intensive. You can imagine there will be a large amount of data to be processed and the quality of the note taking can be sometimes quite inconsistent. So the voice analytics tools can help them to quickly process the data that captured from their conversations using the help from AI, machine learning, and some other real-time analytics tools. So on average, we can see the time of not taking will be reduced by 75%. Um, so that really frees up the agent to focus on build a meaningful conversation and a relationship with their customers, rather than being busy at making notes.
0: Some really um, interesting examples there and I think that 75% uh, stat really stands out and and, and as you say, that's sort of the whole um, kind of focus of these kind of tools is is to really free up um, staff's time to focus on, you know, really supporting customers and hopefully taking out some of that more um, manual processing. James, are there any other technologies that you're seeing in the market um, to, to support compliance?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we've recently seen some firms beginning to explore um, intelligent customer experience technology to drive better engagement across their distribution channels. So this involves processing real time product and operational data to deliver a dynamic customer experience. AI is used to predict the next best action for customers, ultimately enabling firms to deliver a hyper personalized experience based on past customer behavior. We're also seeing some firms begin to consider different AI-powered customer support options. So these are typically in the form of AI chatbots that can resolve customers' queries directly or alternatively directly um, or intelligently route them through to the most appropriate department. And finally, from a monitoring perspective, some firms are using dedicated platforms to manage their product reviews and their fair value assessments. So these platforms extract data from different source systems and automatically assess product performance against pre-agreed assessment criteria in line with their risk appetite. Over time, I think we'll see firms start to develop more advanced forward-looking models. So by integrating new data sources and real-time capabilities, firms can more accurately forecast any changes required to improve customer outcome delivery across different products and operational journeys. I recently attended an FCA tech sprint where we explored how firms could use open banking data to more effectively identify poor customer outcomes. For example, this could be by identifying financial hardship through a deteriorating financial position across their different accounts, even when these are held with other providers, and proactively offering pre arrears forbearance. Or another example is using open banking data to identify cases where customers' money is not working hard enough for them, and we can show them alternative products that may be better suited for their circumstances. So firms should be mindful though, of the need to explain how data is processed through appropriate data privacy disclosures, particularly at in but also within the terms and conditions and the privacy statements, and ensure that customer consent is captured in line with the UK GDPR.
0: Really positive to hear how the FCA is you know, supporting firms in, in that journey and, and in developing some of those open banking data solutions, that's great to hear um, and, and fascinating to hear about some of those AI powered examples and um, of course a really hot topic at the moment and, and we're hearing and seeing lots of debate around this. Um, Lynn, what, what would you add to that in terms of potential use cases for AI in
2: terms of consumer duty? What are you starting to see firms explore there? Sure, thanks Tessa. I guess there's no difference comparing to all the other industries that AI is here to shine for our financial services as well. Um, James also already gave so much good examples on the use cases. Another example we can take a closer look today is how Gen AI or AI in general to help vulnerable customers. As we know that FCA is quite keen to ensure that those customers receive equally good customer experience as others. And therefore, recently, there are more and more apps that are based on conversational AI technology that offer so much different benefits for those individuals with hearing and or visual impairments. For example, um, the features such as speech-to-text transcription, image recognition, um, voice recognitions. all of these features can help customers to engage more effectively during their day-to-day interactions with companies. Um, it worth to mention that, however, those technologies are not new. It has been around for quite some time. And the challenges we see in the market is around how companies really ensure their technology operating model or infrastructure are mature enough to integrate with those features. For example, can our day-to-day banking app fully support and launch those features? That perhaps those features are provided by another third-party tech firm. What sort of adjustment needed to make it work? um, How to build those bridge between the two sides? And really does the bank know how to manage the risks when something unfortunately went wrong? So I guess all these questions need to be addressed until we can see those dependencies has been fully reduced and allow customers to truly experience those benefits.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And are, are there any other challenges that, that you're seeing firms grappling with in, in, in terms of um, some of these potential AI solutions? And, and what are the kind of issues and, and areas that firms need to think about in order to overcome those
2: barriers? <laughs> That's a great question, Tessa. Um, so yeah, embracing those opportunities is definitely exciting, but we also must have to exercise with caution, particularly in the context of consumer duty, because it has such a profound impact a wide range of customers. Um, One fundamental limitations about AI models in my understanding is that the model itself can be only as good as the data that we feed them, so they may struggle to offer advice in those unexpected situations beyond their training data. Um, I'm sure many of us have experienced those chatbots, just fail to answer our questions or simply say, sorry, I don't understand what you asked. Um, Secondly, these... Algorithms, they are still deemed to be too complex and not transparent enough to explain to the majority of customers who may not be a tax expert, so it is difficult for the companies to communicate to them that what factors are really used in our calculation and how they contribute to this outcome. For example, the bank may not be able to pin down the exact reason for a credit application rejection, so as a customer, I can't really appeal for this decision. And banks may struggle to redress or remediate the problem if this problem can't be unraveled themselves. Um, I guess another point I want to make is around ethical concerns around the AI adoption. Um, more specifically, the risks around potential bias and discriminations when offer a product based on algorithm. Um, as we discussed earlier, those calculations relies on the data that it was trained to, And imagine if the data themselves are not sufficient enough or it's inherently biased, the outcome can lead to further confusions or issues. Um, For example, one of the credit card providers used to offer a higher credit limit to men comparing to women, even if they have the other same income. So it's unfortunate, but this bias has been around for the past decades. And in this case, data has this inherited flaw. So those challenges we just discussed here today is really urging the companies to find where's the balance between embracing this exciting opportunity and being responsible so that they can build this open and trustworthy uh, relationship with their customers.
0: And James, how how does that resonate in terms of um, the clients you work with and how you're seeing those uh, strike that balance as as they look to progress their technology ambitions?
1: Yeah, so off the back of the duty, um, many firms that we work with are currently re-evaluating their technology roadmaps and some firms are also taking a, a technology maturity assessment in order to identify functions that would benefit from moving up that maturity curve. Um, A consumer duty overlay is typically being applied to identify any areas which would benefit from adopting technology, particularly where customer pain points were identified during the implementation period. So as Lynn mentioned, some of our clients are also currently looking at how generative AI could be used for more customer facing applications rather than back office ones, both to enhance customer experience, but also to optimize resources. Many firms are currently enhancing their omni-channel customer experience so that customers can transfer seamlessly between different customer options, and others are thinking about how they use customer experience analytics to more effectively measure product and service design and performance. However, without understanding their existing technology roadmaps, these firms are at risk of not identifying potential overlap with other technology changes that are happening across the firm. So this may ultimately lead to a general lack of coordination and inefficiencies in executing the firm's technology change agenda. We're seeing many firms undertake a detailed scoping and planning exercise to determine sponsorship, ownership, success criteria and any known dependencies. And these plans are also capturing any execution risks associated with technology implementation activity. Firms are also identifying mitigating action or controls to prevent risk crystallizing. Firms are generally being mindful to develop executable plans predicated on realistic timelines and achievable milestones to ensure this implementation is a success.
0: Really interesting, and I think to me that really speaks to the fact that um, it's important that firms think about consumer duty as part of their broader strategy. And firms are still kind of working through some of those strategic implications now that um, now that they're over the over the implementation deadline. So, I mean, I think it's really clear from our discussion that, that firms have been on a, a significant journey with consumer duty so far and, and there's certainly more change to come. Um, it'd be great to, to end by getting both of your reflections on how you think the conversation's likely to evolve in, say, six to nine months' time. James, I'll, I'll come to you first.
1: Yeah, so I think in six months' time, I think the conversation will be really around how effective um, ongoing information sharing is across the distribution chain. So manufacturers obviously need to share their fair value information with their distributors, and distributors likewise need to share sales information with manufacturers and any other relevant information. So I think that's going to be a really key piece, particularly where you've got quite long distribution chains in the market. Um, I think firms will obviously be submitting their inaugural annual board report of customer outcomes fairly soon, and I think this will ignite further discussion around the potential need for a strategy refresh, like you say, uh, Tessa, to demonstrate compliance with the GT. And some of our clients are already considering product rationalisation following their product reviews and fair value assessments. Some are needing to take really difficult financial decisions to balance both commercial success with ensuring their products provide truly fair value and actually deliver good outcomes to their customers. And finally, I think we're likely to see firms having ongoing engagement with the FCA supervisors and some firms will be making print 11 notifications where they fall foul of the new requirements.
0: Lynn, what would you add to that? How, how do you see the conversation evolving in six months' time or so?
2: Yeah, I think in six months' time, it um, would be quite interesting to take a look at how companies can leverage on data and technology innovations, as we discussed, um, to achieve this operational excellence uh, in their BAU mode and at do T. Um, for example, currently we see a large amount of manual approach are still in place from data extractions to uh, monitor the customer outcome using the traditional type of dashboard. And um, as you would ima- imagine that um, maintaining those reporting flow can be quite manual and labor intensive. Um, So what it really does is to leave very less time and resources for the companies to focus on delivering better customer outcome and address potential harms, which is what the duty is really about. So, yeah, in my mind, it might be a shift in the focus from tactical solutions to strategic solutions, um, such as things that can be automated uh, and streamlined um, to achieve this better efficiency overall.
0: Thank you both. Some really interesting food for thought to to finish with there about what the road ahead looks like. So thank you very much. I think it's been a great discussion, been really interesting to hear about the journey that firms have been on so far and what the future looks like. I think a lot of the technology solutions that you've talked about are really exciting and I know they're front of mind for our clients as they demonstrate ongoing compliance with the duty in a way that's sustainable but also creates value for the business. And one of the things that I'm really interested to see um, as we look further ahead is which firms can use the duty as a catalyst to differentiate their offering, to deliver enhanced customer experience outcomes and to potentially gain competitive advantage. So our listeners, I hope you've enjoyed this conversation and thank you very much for listening. As always, please subscribe to future episodes and you can also rate and review the series as it really helps other listeners to find us. If you'd like to hear more from us on risk and regulation, please look out for our regular publications on our website, which we'll link to in the show notes. And we'll be back next month with our next episode.